0: You've got your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter two. The book of Matthew, chapter two. You know, around Christmas, we talk sometimes about the uh, traditions or the memories or the thoughts that come to mind when we think of Christmas. And like many of you, things that come to mind for me include people and gifts and food and tradition. But other things that come to mind or one of the things that I remember about my childhood growing up are the places of Christmas. We had a very standard routine growing up of what Christmas meant and where we went and how it evolved. We would, uh, on Christmas Eve, mom always worked on Christmas Eve. Mom worked at um, Farm Bureau Insurance in Dyer County. And uh, she would have to work till the boss said it's okay to go home. Well, we knew when mom got home, we opened our presents to each other. And so when we figured out how to use a phone, my brother and I were secretly sneaking into rooms to call mom and say, does he let you go yet? When are you coming home? Do we need to go and start separating the gifts? And we would open gifts there, we would eat a small lunch, and then we would travel... Uh, from Dyersburg, Tennessee, to the large town of Trenton, Tennessee. How many of you have ever been to Trenton, Tennessee? All right. Huge town over in West Tennessee. We go to Trenton. We really didn't go to Trenton. We went around Trenton to Brazil, Tennessee. How many of you ever been to Brazil? Well, it's right over there by Gibson Wells. You know where that is probably. But we, uh, we would go, and we would stop on the way to see my Aunt Dolly. And Aunt Dolly and Uncle Pete always had a gift for us. And uh, Uncle Pete was always a cool guy because he would take us out to his... Uh, to uh, the place where he was curing country ham. He had his own uh, cure shack out there. He'd take us out there and show us that. And they always gave us a really neat gift. and, um, uh, And so we'd go from there and we'd go to Mama Bus and Daddy Bill's house. Now, Mama Bus and Daddy Bill lived out in the country, all right? They lived so far out in the country, when they named the road that Daddy Bill lived on, Because of the 911, you know, they had to have a name for the road because he didn't have a name, he just lived out there. They named it Bill Edwards Lane because my granddad, or great granddad, was Bill Edwards. They just named it after him because that's the only person that ever lived out there was close to it. So we go to Mama Bush and Daddy Bill's, and we would travel then from Trenton on the back roads to Halls, Tennessee. We're hitting all the big cities around, all right? Hall Sissy's where my dad's family was. That's where I got to eat on the ironing board I talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, and we didn't have the kids' table. We had the kids' ironing board, and that's where I ate. And we'd uh we go we spin there, we'd open gifts there, and then we'd travel back from Hall's to Dyersburg, always noticing the red blinking light in the sky, which meant get home and get to bed. Wake up on Christmas morning, have Christmas at the house, and then we go to mom's parent's house and we'd spend the rest of Christmas there. And what I remember is not just the people or I really don't even remember the presents that we got. What I remember are the smells and the atmosphere and the layout of those houses and those places. Places can have significance in your life. And one of the things I thought about today is I wanted to look for a moment at a place that played a role around the birth of Jesus. Now, I want to be real honest with you, this was not the day Jesus was born. In fact, we don't know when exactly it would be in Matthew chapter 2. We know it's before he's two years old, because of what Herod does in a few minutes. But it could be anywhere from the day Jesus was born till he was two years old. More than likely, it's a few weeks or months after Jesus' birth. But I want to look for a minute at a drama that plays out in Jerusalem. And here's the reason I want to look at the drama that plays out in Jerusalem. It's because I think the reactions of the people in Jerusalem in this small drama still encapsulate the three typical reactions people have towards the Jesus of Christmas. Three reactions that people have when they hear the story of Jesus, when they hear about Jesus, when they think about Him, these three reactions are still what kind of happen in people's lives. Look at with me in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem. Saying, by the way, we're going to talk about this a little more in just a minute. Don't you find it fascinating that these guys that don't have a clue about Yahweh necessarily show up in Jerusalem and ask about this king that's been born and it says it's an unexpected visit. The people that should have known had no clue. Where is he that was born King of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. Let me tell you the first kind of reaction people have to the Christ child or to the story of Christmas or to Jesus himself. The first reaction that people have is that they're threatened by him. Now in this story we have King Herod. It says here... King Herod was deeply disturbed. What most people don't realize is that Herod was what you would call a radical, malevolent, egomaniac. And those were his best qualities. He called himself Herod the Great. Self-appointed Herod the Great. And he was paranoid about people taking his throne. In fact, when he took the throne, he had the entire Sanhedrin put to death 70 religious leaders. Later, he put to death his brother in law, his mother in law, his wife, and three of his own children, all afraid they were trying to undermine him. Caesar Augustus, that name sound familiar? Caesar Augustus, from Luke chapter 2, once said of Herod, it was better to be one of Herod's pigs than his son. So imagine, if you will, they're in Jerusalem, and these guys come to Herod and say, by the way, King Herod, we've got a question for you. Can you tell us about this child that was born just a, few, just a little while ago? He, he's now king of the Jews. Can you tell us where he is? Now, why would that deeply disturb Herod? Because he's king of the Jews, right? And if you're king of the Jews and somebody comes to you and says, we're looking for this baby who's born king of the Jews, that's a problem. It's especially a problem when you're King Herod and you are not 100% Jewish. He always had this fear someone was going to take over his throne. And so Herod feigns interest, right? Oh, he goes and he gets the religious leaders he says where is he supposed to be born and they say he's going to be in Bethlehem that's what the scriptures say and then he says to the wise men you go find him for me and then tell me where he is why because I want to go and worship him give homage to him is that what he wants to do no what does he want to do get rid of him right I've got another pretender to the throne. It's time for me to take action. What I want us to see here is not so much right. I mean, people today aren't threatened to the point where they can take out that kind of violence, although there are some that are like that. But in general, the problem Herod had is that he was afraid because of what Jesus was going to do that he was going to lose his position in life. Jesus still threatens people it's less this time of year i mean this time of year you hear more about jesus than any other time of year as jeff said you get up and it's on the radio it's on the television people are mentioning the name they're talking about the christ child um, I, I heard even um today and i don't know about a personal faith but the queen of england talked about the fact that if one thing we've learned is that we can all get ourselves in a bunch of mess and we can't save ourselves so god sent us a savior i mean those kind of things are na- are news we're you know, people don't write that that I say it every week because I, I say it every week. But people like the Queen don't say it every week. It's this time of Christmas that they do that. But people are still threatened by the by the bold... They're not threatened by the baby in the manger. They're threatened by the Jesus who puts a claim in on our lives. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Tim Tebow? Anybody tired of hearing about Tim Tebow? Depends, right? Tim Tebow is one of those guys that I've had conflicting emotions about for a while now. Because I knew his story, but he played for Florida. I mean, how can you be a believer and play for Florida? I just don't understand that. Not only was he a believer who played for Florida, I I know his youth minister. And he would tell me stories that I didn't want to hear because he was just he was such a good guy. And I'm like, listen, I've got to hate him for four years. He told me about the guy that's his youth manager who's got some teenage sons, and um, uh, he was his youth manager in Jacksonville where he grew up. And now he, this guy that's a friend of mine, is now a pastor in Gainesville, and he called Tim Tebow up while he's playing for Florida and said, Tim, I'd like to do lunch, and Tim said, That'd be great, and so they got together and. Um, he says the crazy thing because Tim Tebow said, listen, I don't want to go out to a restaurant because if I go out to a restaurant, we just won't be able to have a conversation. And he said it should have sounded arrogant, like I can't even eat in a restaurant, but it didn't. So they ate in his office, and he got through. He said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to pick up my kid from middle school uh, football practice. And Tim said, let me go. He goes, you don't have to go. And he said, no, come on. I want to go. And so Calvin, my friend, is walking to pick up his son, and Tim Tebow, and Gainesville, Florida, is picking up his son with him at a middle school football practice, and he gets there and asks the coach if he can speak to the guys for a couple of minutes. And he tells about this story, and he shares his faith right there with those kids. I was like, don't tell me those stories. All right? Now, there is lots of discussion about why Tim Tebow gets talked about so much, and there are lots of factors that goes into it. There was this interesting article, though, a, a week or so ago, it's actually on ESPN.com. About the reason that people are so polarized about Tebow is because if what he teaches or speaks is true, it threatens so much of who they are. And Jesus does that to people. Now, part of the reason they talk about him is because he doesn't look like he can throw and he shouldn't be winning. And yesterday, he didn't, right? He kind of got in trouble. But that's part of the reason. But there is this fact of people, even some Christians, like maybe he needs to kind of not do so much. Just kind of pull back. Because Jesus in a manger doesn't threaten people. But King of kings, Lord of lords does. And here's the thing. Most believers even, (laughs) if they want to get real honest about it, when you begin to talk about that kind of stuff, they're like, well, wait a minute. we just... I mean... I'm okay with Jesus in the manger, and I'm okay with Jesus the good guy, and Jesus the comforter, and Jesus my peace. But Lord of my life? Ruler of everything I have? Herod is a troubling illustration of self-absorption. Though he's dead, long dead, Herod has been dead for a long time. In fact, he died shortly after Jesus was born. Though he's been dead for a long time, he typifies many people in our world today. Many people don't mind talking about taking some time off of work for the birth of Jesus. They embrace Him as a resource when they get in trouble. They like Him as a spiritual benefactor. And even in here in the Bible Belt, they enjoy adding them to their lives and calling themselves a Christian. But when the reality sinks in of who this child is, it begins to shake them to the core. When the true meaning of His coming begins to sink in, He becomes a threat to us. And I'm not talking about whether or not Jesus can be displayed in a public place. I'm talking about whether we or not we allow the same Jesus to have authority in our private lives. As believers, we should be much more concerned about whether or not Jesus is being displayed in the way we act and think and talk and live than whether he's being displayed on the court square. Now, I'm not a, I want him displayed on the court square. But sometimes we get to fight so much about that that we forget he's supposed to be living through us. Do I really want a king? Maybe if I'm honest, I'm looking for a mascot or a good luck charm or a warm blanket. Or maybe even someone that will rescue me when I need it. But someone who will take absolute control of my life, that's different. Herod, although taken to the extreme, and we would never want to say we identify with him demonstrates that sometimes when we realize the magnitude of what this child could be, it threatens us. Here's the second reaction. Herod was threatened by Jesus. The second reaction is, some of these guys were just complacent about him. You know what always killed me when I read this story? Are the Jewish leaders... Right? These wise men come in and they say, what do they ask? Where's Jesus supposed to be born? They don't say Jesus, they say, the king of the Jews, we've seen this star. I mean, Scripture tells us that when the shepherds saw what they saw, they told everybody around Bethlehem. Word had to get back that something strange happened. I mean, there were angels out in the field, there were people coming. They've got wise men coming from the east. Don't you think if you're a religious leader, you think, maybe I ought to at least check it out a little bit? Bethlehem was just a couple of miles from Jerusalem. It's not like it's from here to Dallas, Texas. It's a few miles. It would have taken them a couple of days to get there, if that. And this is what I, I always bewilders because we have no evidence in this story that they go and do anything. They come to him in verse 5, and they say, oh, the chief priests and the scribes, they ask them, and in verse 5 they say, oh, he's in Bethlehem of Judea. Because that's what's written. And so you hear about, well, there may be this king born, and I've heard news coming out of Bethlehem. We could put two and two together and go. There's no evidence that they did. To our knowledge, not a single person made their way to see the newborn king. They were five or six miles from Bethlehem. I don't know if they were too busy. I don't know if they had more important things going on. I don't know if their lives were too complicated. I just know that they missed it. You know, last week I talked about life not getting complicated. And I talked about how that we needed to try to simplify Christmas. Here is the real danger. Let me just say, if any of you out there are thinking about being preachers, I know some of you got that on your mind right now. Here's the danger in being a preacher. When you preach on something... God tests you on it. It just happens. And so guess what happened this week? Life got complicated. Friday morning, December 23rd. I don't know if you all knew that. But that's two days ago. For some of you, it seems like it's been a month ago, right? For some of us, Christmas Eve candlelight service seemed like two weeks ago right now. Christmas, Somebody that's <laughs> all online, somebody called the 23rd Christmas Adam, because it's the day before Eve. So, all right. The day before Christmas Eve, and it wasn't a male chauvinist either. It wasn't somebody trying to, you know, put an agenda across The day before Christmas Eve, I wake up and my parents are coming in and they're leaving early that morning because we're eating lunch with my brother. And then we've still got some stuff to get done. We've still got some presents to get wrapped. We've still got some things to get taken care of food-wise. My parents are coming in. They're staying with us for a couple of days. You know, all that. I had spent Thursday. We'd gotten the house together. We'd gotten all that stuff together. So I decide on that morning, oh, we forgot to put toilet paper in their bathroom. And that's a necessity, right? being a good host. And so I walk down to the bathroom and as I get down to the bathroom and I take a step, squish! That's water. There is not supposed to be water on the bathroom floor. So, I get my plunger out because it looks like the toilet is full. And I begin to plunge. And in my plunging efforts, nothing happens. So I call up Mr. Everything Randy Brooks, and say, I think my plunger's messed up. Have you got a good one? Oh, I got a good one. And he just says, Hey, don't you have a pump at the bottom of your house that pumps the stuff out? of? Have you checked that this morning? Let's just go with the toilet right now. Let's just not worry about that. So I go to the storage room, open the door. That looks like an inch and a half of water in our storage room. The pump had become unplugged. So my parents are literally 45 minutes from the house. Randy and um, the brother-in-law, Steve, Steve Scott, are now at my house in shoes, carpet pulled back, shop vac going, fans blowing, carrying everything in our storage room into the garage because that's what you want to do two days before Christmas. And the Lord just kind of brought back this thought to me about the complications that come with Christmas. And I was just reminded, thinking about this story and what we talked about last week, how easy it is to get so caught up in life that you miss Jesus. Not just at Christmas. I mean, we talk about it at Christmas, but it happens all the time. These guys were a couple of miles from the thing they had studied and prayed about, and longed for, and looked for, for centuries. And they missed it. Some people are threatened by Jesus. Some people are just apathetic to it. And then we see that some people embrace Him. Herod, in verse 7, summons the wise men, asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem said, Go search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Verse 9. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was, Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Don't miss that. They see the star, it stops, and they go, we have found it. These are pagan, spiritual guys that shouldn't be within a hundred miles of the Christ child. He shouldn't be on their radar. And yet God in His infinite wisdom shows us from the very beginning that this Jesus is not just King of the Jews. He is King of all. And every person on the planet needs to hear the news of the glory of this child born in the manger. And they get there and it says they are overjoyed beyond measure. You know, I can count on my two hands probably the times in my life that I have been overjoyed beyond measure. I mean, that that gives this idea of just joy that can't be contained, of things that have to just kind of get out. My family was here last night and um, for the Christmas Eve service, and Maddie, who is not a regular attender on Sunday morning in this worship service, she's downstairs she's been in this worship service once and has cried for five minutes so we, we keep her in the nursery but uh, christmas eve everybody's in here together and susan was telling me after we got home that during one of the songs we were singing last night jeff was singing it was i don't remember which song it was but it was kind of a peppy song just in the middle of the song she went yahoo just happened you know One of the things I love about Christmas is this. My kids this morning and yesterday were overjoyed beyond measure. Man, don't you think sometimes it's ridiculous as adults, we've lost our ability to be overjoyed beyond measure. You know what overjoyed beyond measure means to me? It means that you act in such a way you don't care what people think or how you look. When was the last time you were just so excited you didn't care what people thought or how you looked? We just get so conscious about who we are. And these guys, they lost all sense of pride. Isn't it ironic too that the leader of the Jewish people was so prideful, he killed every child under two he could find. And these wise men who were probably, maybe not kings, but had clout, Find no problem, it says. When they entered the house, they saw the child with his mother and falling to their knees. They worshipped him. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the thrill of hope. And we've just kind of focused on little bits of that song, uh, O Holy Night, which is one of my favorite Christmas songs. And I, uh, my favorite part of that song is when it kind of builds and that verse has been sung and then you get to what I guess is the de facto chorus of that song and you yell out or sing out. If you're me, you just yell. You don't care about what it sounds like. You just sing. Fall on your knees. You see, for Christmas to mean anything, the only appropriate response is to embrace Jesus in the manger for all that He is. And these guys didn't come with any preconceived notions of what they could hold back or what He would be. They just worshipped Him right there.